when I started with the idea there weren't any classes, there wasn't anything, but there was a ton of YouTube. So at the beginning, it was all self-taught through through YouTube, actually, and watching people make stuff, Amazing. like, online. Uh, and I would say the journey to make great chocolate starts with a lot of shitty chocolate. Mm. So I made a ton of shit chocolate at the beginning, just figuring stuff out. And then eventually I did take some formal classes, but it's been a lot of, like, trial and error, a lot of just learning what doesn't work. And as the industry kind of... Chocolate's kind of going similar to what beer and coffee did like 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So little by little producers are coming on the scene, doing something similar to what we're doing. And we kind of share with each other to kind of... That's cool. Ahead. Yeah. Oh, I've been drinking for a while now. <laughs> Welcome to the next episode of Pancom Podcast, brought to you by Drew Estate Cigars. This is... Getting that was more professional great. every episode. I'm out of here. This is it. I'm done. <laughs> Nick, you fucking carry it from here. Oh, man. I'm wow. Nick Jimenez. You're listening to a brand new episode of Pancom Podcast. We are recording this from the Pig Inc. Apparel Hat Storage Studio. <laughs> uh, God. Uh, Nick destroyed my display of hats. I destroyed nothing. You did. Uh, Joined, as usual, by 8th grade basketball MVP and Sade t-shirt aficionado. I have now nine Sade t-shirts. This is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Michael Beltran. For those of you wondering, he still thinks that he talks out of the tip of his chin. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> we are joined by special guest and bringer of gifts, bearer of gifts, Carolina Quijano of Exquisito Chocolates. We don't uh, deserve you. No, we just don't. I, I want to say every time somebody brings us gifts, we say that it's the only time it's ever happened, and I feel like the few other people probably feel a little slighted. Well, Danny you know, Surfer brought totally me a sandwich. Get shafted. Right, Danny uh, brought a sandwich. Seth Burger Beast brought nothing. No, he brought <laughs> he brought nothing. not a fucking thing. No, Kush brought matzo ball soup I ate the next day. Oh yeah, Kush brought a lot of things. Yeah, he brought a cap. I still wear that cap. Yeah. Uh, who else brought things? Kush is a nice man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's a small club, and we appreciate it very much. And I know that Mike is very excited because, as listeners of this know, he has a tremendous sweet tooth. Oh. Uh, if you could see, for our YouTube subscribers, uh, there's a beautiful box of several different chocolates. First off, hello and thank you for being here tonight with us uh, in the Pig Ink Apparel uh, Dungeon. <laughs> Why, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Got to work on my voice there like you. No. <laughs> What's up? Not much. Oh, man. How are you doing? <laughs> you seem like you're having a rough time there. No, not rough. It's been a long It's been a long week already. Okay. Um, it's only Wednesday. I know. Can you tell the people about this beautiful box that, yeah. you, gave, that you gave us that we, we definitely don't deserve you? Right. So, and that no one has ever gifted you anything except right. this point. Well, I mean, you know, Danny Surfer, I mean, they, it's like a time lapse, right? After a certain amount of time, I right. forget, and you it's over. You just forget. So in yeah. a few months when somebody else brings a gift, you're going to be like, no one's ever brought us a gift, and you won't remember That's this. That's not true. You're very important to mm-hmm. me. This is mm-hmm. one of the better ones. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but you say to all the guests. Yeah, yeah. So can they buy this at your store? Yeah, absolutely. So this is like a little selection of some of our origin bars. Uh, the first one is one of my favorites. It's our... Uh, we... One recently for uh, the Academy of Chocolate. It's a brown butter and caramelized milk chocolate using oh, Colombian that cacao. So good. Um, and then on that same kind of line, we have uh, our version of cookies and cream, 
so using caramelized white chocolate that we make in house and then with Oreos, so it's kind of like a bougie version of the Hershey's uh, type. I love and, bougie Hershey's. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> I like bougie things, man. And then, of course, like we specialize in origins from different countries. So one of our Haitian bars, which is really nice, just pure dark chocolate. Oof, that like sounds a nice like fudgy. Real, real dark for me. It's real dark. You're, you're more on the sweet side. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, then you stick with the brown butter, which is like a gateway dark chocolate. I told, like, and I totally get it, like the purity aspect yeah. of it or whatever. But I'm just, I grew up a fat kid. So I liked Listen. all the like crappy, you know. Cookies and cream, Hershey's right. bars, and fucking... Listen, I don't discriminate. We, we do that. a little bit Thank of everything you. for the purists and then also for the fat kids and all of us. So. I love that. Thank you so much yeah. for not judging me, for not understanding beautiful dark chocolate. That's all right. And I get it. Not everybody's a chocolate snob, and that's all right. This episode of Pankong Podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Drew Estate and Master Blender, Willie Herrera, who are proud to introduce... The Herrera Esteli Miami Cigar. Crafted by Level 9 Cuban Rollers at El Titan de Bronce in Calle Ocho, the complete Herrera Esteli Miami line is expertly rolled with a lavish Ecuadorian Habano Oscuro wrapper over a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder with select fillers from the Dominican Republic and Nicaragua. The new look of Herrera Esteli Miami features a black and gold color tone and is available in the following five Vitolas. Nick, tell everyone, what is a Vitola? A Vitola, and by the way, I would like everyone listening to this ad to know, this is the first take, and we're doing very well. I I am shocked. (laughs) I have no idea what's going on, and I have to say it's because of the anxious coffee that Nick has made. Oh, man. Just wait for the poops. Uh, (laughs) A Vitola, the term Vitola refers to the sizes of the cigars, right? So some of the common ones that people hear are, Robusto and Corona and mm. Churchill, uh, those are all terms for Vitolas. The five Vitolas that Just, the... I want to interrupt you because it's not always about the size of the cigar. That's true. It is the type of cigar. So tell them. That's true. So the five, the five Vitolas that, uh, that Herrera Tele comes in are Herrera Tele Miami Robusto Grande, 5 by 50 Should we go with like... Uh, anglicized pronunciations is it a, for because your name is on the sandwich is this a robusto grande or a robusto grande i mean it depends how do you feel like our listeners in salina would feel i want them to feel like it's robusto grande <laughs> bueno that's a good vitola so robusto grande which is a five by 50 by the way for the uninitiated five by 50 means it is five inches long and 50 64ths of an inch in diameter so uh, close to 5.6. So just you have p- painting a picture here in your mind. Robusto Grande, which is a 5x50. Toro Especial, which is 6x52. Lonsdale Deluxe, a 6.5x44. Piramide Fino, 6.5x54. Short Corona Gorda, which is 5 and 3 quarters by 48 This cigar is exclusive to Drew Diplomat Retailers. For more information, you can visit DrewEstate.com. That's D-R-E-W Estate. Dot com or follow them at, at Drew Estate Cigar on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Mike, you had this cigar. I know that you're a Drew Estate fan. I am a Drew Estate fan. I'm very glad that they've come on as a part. I, as a general rule, I want to make sure that to the extent that we can, and we've pulled this off so far, we're only 
partnering with people and taking money from people whose products we're actually into. Like Santos. Uh, actually, absolutely like Santos Sangria. Santos Sangria. I, I, I actually have told them, like, I'll, listen, I'll give you an ad because I'm out of Santos Sangria. Right. Uh, I have to say that um, after going through this ad, one of the things that sticks out to me the most is how very much I feel like this is softcore Cinemax porn at 11 o'clock. Explain to everyone a rich Ecuadorian Sumatran binder how that doesn't sound very sexual. Listen, I, I don't know that the people at Drew Estate would object to our <laughs> selling not. them as a sexual product. Yeah. Uh, but in case anybody's curious about what that even means, so Ecuadorian Sumatran binder. So like Sumatran that. is not a style of That's the thing. Of sexual style. It's not a sexual style. Got it. I mean, although it depends, some people do sexual things with their cigars. All right. Listen, you open this door. Man, we fucked this ad up already. <laughs> Jeez. No, but uh, but Ecuadorian Sumatran. That might sound confusing to people who know their geography because Ecuador and Sumatra are both places. It is a Sumatran binder, meaning that it is a variety of tobacco uh, named for Sumatra, but it was grown in Ecuador. And you see this a lot in cigars where you have a an Ecuadorian Connecticut wrapper. Uh, which means that it's a uh, Connecticut tobacco variety, but grown in Ecuador. People who listen to this podcast are going to hear us smoke. Pretty soon, we're going to have Willy Herrera, the master blender, on as a guest on the podcast. Uh, if you're curious about cigars, that is definitely one you want to tune in for. I have to say that I, I smoke a pretty good wide range of cigars, and I, I gravitate towards Drew Estate a lot. I mm -hmm. think that the consistent how consistent and good those cigars are is like very rare. And we've talked about that a lot. Like, you know, sometimes you'll get a cigar and then it'll be great. And then you go back to get it like six months later and it's just not as good. Right. I've never had that experience with Drew Estate stuff. And it's like, I, I don't know. I've, I've been a fan for a long time, way before they started paying me to say I was a fan. <laughs> right. Way before. No, it's true. Yeah. It's true. No, we've been to cigar shops together all, more than once. You've pointed out Drew Estate things. But that's what I, I, I actually, smoked that, and that's awesome. The red label uh, Herrera Esteli, I smoke every week. Yeah, yeah. A every week, it'll be the first. Like you know, when I go to one of these places, I'll go. That's the first thing I grab, and then I'll go into something else second yeah. if I decide to smoke two or three that day. So I'm glad you brought that up because I want to make a distinction here. You you referenced the the one that has the, the red, red label. label on red it. and gold, yeah, and that's the core Herrera Esteli. Which is made in Esteli. Esteli is uh, the Nicaraguan sort of capital of cigar making. The Herrera Esteli Miami that we'd been talking about is actually made, and this is referenced in the copy that we read, but El Titan de Bronce in, in Little Havana. Uh, so this is also a cigar that you want to go after. And I remember I, I uh, passed this along to one of our friends in the uh, social media sphere who was putting together a list of local businesses. And I said, ah. like, hey, you might want to check out El Titan de Bronce. Uh, and El Titan in Little Havana is not just in Miami, but in the country, one of a very, very small number of American cigar factories that actually distribute all over the place. So it's cool that, you know, uh, that this is a product that people everywhere have access to. Um, and, and it comes from a small factory in Miami that has a, a very good reputation, not just all over the country, but all over the world. Somebody gave me one of these Miami ones for Christmas. So it was delicious. Merry Christmas. So, again, this cigar is exclusive to Drew Estate, uh, to Drew Diplomat Retailers. For more information, DrewEstate.com or follow them, Drew Estate Cigar on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We expect sales to go up 20% after this ad. I might cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Chef Devin and I have this disagreement all the time. Really? And it's okay. Uh-huh. You know? But she gets mad at me because I don't like dark chocolate. That's I'm just okay. like, I don't know what to tell you. This we do a fun. little bit of everything because not everybody has right. the same likes. So, you know, it's totally fine. It's totally cool. So how the fuck are you? God. It's been such a <laughs> fucked up year. I just want to know how are you, how's everything? Uh, it's been a really weird year, for mm. sure. Uh, it's uh, It's been a lot of up and down. Like, mm. I... Really, last March, kind of had a conversation with my production manager, and I was like, I don't know how we're going to, what's going to go on the next few months, because um, we really relied a lot on, on wholesale and a lot of yeah. other places and hotels and restaurants and stuff, and uh, that's pretty much gone away for us for sure. the last year, and who knows when that will really come back, but... Sure. Uh, we found creative ways to survive and stay afloat and keep going as much as we can. So the key word of 2020 was pivot. Right. Oh, yeah. Pivot. Yeah. That was if the I hear the I word earlier, I pivoted. I pit. How how shall we pivot today? Uh huh. On this episode of Pivot 101, <laughs> what can we pan con pivot? Brought to you by Nicholas Jimenez and Petey the dog, the number one OnlyFans site. For uh, this month, I don't know if you guys knew that, but it's big. Yeah, pivoting God. is like the big. I was going to say that was Petey's pivot. Oh, that was Petey's pivot. Oh, Petey's pivot was OnlyFans. Thanks, Petey. You went from begging to OnlyFans. I like it. Really took initiative. I like it. At least he monetizes it. So he does. <laughs> That's good. That's true. Okay, so let's go. Uh, uh, Nick requires that I do structure in the show somehow. So. Um, Let's talk about your story and how you ended okay. up with chocolate. And then, you know, I asked you the question before we started. You're not, you're born here, yeah. not raised here, yep. not really from anywhere. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So I, I was born here and uh, I grew up in Colombia for uh, for several years okay. and then came back to the States and lived in, in California, lived in Arizona. I lived in Orlando for a while and then I came back uh, to Miami uh, to go, go to school. What part of California? Uh, I lived in San Diego and oh, Irvine. And San Diego's beautiful. Yeah, it is. So nice. Like, the best I, weather. I know. I went all up and down California. Uh-huh. And, you know, like, I, the food is better in other places. But, right. man, San Diego is beautiful. It is. So epic. Mm-hmm. Just as a city, looks-wise. I didn't... <laughs> God, production of the show sucks. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> really gone off the rails. Um... <laughs> yeah, I, I loved it. And then Arizona, I've never actually been there. I mean, it's you don't have fans in Arizona, do you? Because, oh no. I don't okay, have to, all right. No, I don't have. I well, mean, it's, we have fans in Arizona. Listen, Arizona, we love you. But okay. if it's fine, if you don't like it, I mean, it was. Uh, yeah, it's very hot there, and um, that's it. That's all. I'll say. Got it, it could be very cool. nice. And Arizona, we love it. you. We're out. Know, but, uh, I don't want to cause you any potential sponsorship in the future. So we have no uh, sponsors. But you never know. Look at Petey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then Arizona and then yeah. back to Miami. And then eventually, yeah, came back to Miami. Uh, I got a scholarship to come to UM. Oh, cool. And uh, went the college route, went the very corporate route, and ended up in New York working, um, and wound up a corporate dropout before yeah. I uh, did this. Interesting. Corporate doing what? I was a management consultant for financial services firms. What does a management consultant do? It's basically an asshole who tells you what you're doing wrong. 
I, th- they, I thought that was a chef. <laughs> I thought that was my job. So am I really a management consultant that's been you are. mislabeled? Yeah, you're a culinary so, management consultant. So I'm a star management consultant. All right. Rising star management consultant. <laughs> Got it. Love that. It's good. Guys, we've had it all wrong the whole time. Um, okay. So you were someone telling... And then... how? So how did we end up here? Yeah. How did we end up with chocolate? Yeah. So I, I used to travel like 150,000 miles per year, like visiting clients. Shut like up. Going That's all over the place. Wild. Yeah. And just lived on an airplane and I love food and... Time out. Yeah. Randomly. Okay. What was your worst experience on an airplane when you travel that much? Like how scared were you for your life? Ever. If ever. I don't get that scared on airplanes. I'm pretty used to it by now. It's more so like nightmare passengers or like... I'm worthless on an airplane. I need really? to. I need to either drink heavily beforehand or not sleep. So I just uh-huh. go straight the fuck to sleep because I'm petrified of heights. Oh, really? Oh, God. So bad. I'm like a child. <laughs> it's really... T- I remember my first plane ride was when I was 17. Uh-huh. And I was visiting schools. Okay. And, you know, we didn't have a ton of money, so my, like I couldn't have a parent come with me. So uh-huh. just we paid for just my plane ticket. Right. Actually, I didn't even pay for it. A friend of mine's dad and uncle worked for American, so uh-huh. I got on for free. Okay. At that time, it was totally cool. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like it, uh, it was my first air ride, uh, air, airplane ride ever, and it was really bad. Like it was like thundering really out, just real bad. Uh-huh. And there was an older lady that was sitting right next to me, and she was just reading a book. Uh-huh. She was just reading a book, and just the turbulence is bad, and I'm like, heart palpitations. Uh-huh. I'm like holding on to the thing, like, the, the, right, like right, so hard. Right. Yeah. And she just, she puts her hand on mine, and she's like, it's going to be okay. I promise you it's going to be fine. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure it's going to be fine? Because I'm fucking freaking out here. She's like, it's going to be fine. And she just goes back to her book. And I'm like, I'm such a loser. <laughs> Fuck. That happened to me once. I flew into like where all the army guys were. And everybody on my flight was like an army guy. Oh, yeah. Except me. And then the plane had horrible turbulence. And I was like the idiot just like gripping. And the guy's just looking at me like, oh. Listen, like, shit happens. You're not an idiot, man. Uh, like shit goes wrong. Go sideways on planes. But you know, like I don't think a plane has ever fallen because of turbulence. Well, I didn't that know that. That should be reassuring. Yeah. Yeah, I just saw a video of like, this was just recent, like one of the engines blew up on a yeah. plane. Did you see that? I where, did, I did. Where was that talking to your tickler there? It's <laughs> uh, a totally different show now. God, was that? <laughs> <laughs> now we're on PD's OnlyFans show. Was that Colorado? Something like that. Yeah, somewhere, had, somewhere in the Southwest. Yeah, but they landed and they were fine. Yeah. Right. But it was like, like the, the entire engine blew up. Blew up. Yeah. I don't know what I would be like. Did you see pictures of uh, the people engine? with debris on the ground? No. Like a bunch of high school kids on their football field and they're like standing next to like five pieces of engine. No way. There's like uh, the like the round rim sort of part. Oh, I did see a picture of that in front of someone's house. Yeah, and like a front lawn. Uh-huh. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Imagine is... waking up or hearing the sound of it landing. Yeah. Like, it's like Hurricane Andrew all over again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I guess so. so sorry to interrupt. But yeah, but so you're still the same way then. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, you can't fly. No, I fly. Okay. Because I but like panic. Because I like to travel, but I panic. Yeah. Hard. Well, you just have to drink to the point where you just don't. I do. I do. Yeah. Heavily. Absolutely. Like at night. Yeah, like, just like or just like take a, a few like some pain medication. Right, and just pass out. And just pass and out. And you just had to time it right. Or I don't sleep the whole day before. Uh huh. It depends how long. But the then you get is. paranoid. Why? Well, only when I up, when but... we're descending. Okay. I wake up. Uh huh. And then it's like okay. 
then it's We're fine. getting closer. Right. So this this is my life. Uh-huh. This is how I am. Okay. So you could not have done 150,000. I could have done it. I mean, I, st- I do it and okay. you know, it's yeah. just like I'm you know a little stressed. You have to plan ahead. I plan ahead. You're right. <laughs> right. I plan right. Ahead. So Yeah, not so much the heights. I did see a lot of fights break out. I I saw people uh throwing luggage at flight attendants and then Oh shit. Really? Oh yeah, people get really pissed off when they fly. People lose their minds when they fly. I don't get it. I don't know. There's like a, I don't know if it's like an entitlement or something, but people lose their minds at airports. Yeah, I think it's an entitlement thing. Yeah. You know, like, it's also, there's jerks in the world, right? Well, like, yeah. You know, guy, I can feel your fucking knee in the back of right. my fucking chair. Like, you don't have to be such a fucking asshole. <laughs> you know, like, and then I never say anything, but uh-huh. I do the... The very Miami just turn around and look at you. Right. Like, I understand. Uh-huh. You're uncomfortable. Everyone's uncomfortable. You should have gotten a first class seat if you wanted more fucking right. space. I'm sorry. I once sorry. got slapped on a flight on a flight because I leaned my seat back what? and I had my headphones on and so I felt this old lady just come up and whap! Just like what? slap. What? Yeah. I've seen a lot of weird shit on planes. I have ridden in first class twice. Okay. Because I did that American Airlines uh-huh. like, family and friends thing. Yeah, yeah. So you just get on when, you know, there's room. And I did first class and it was nice. I felt very rich. You know? <laughs> did you do the whole thing when people walk in and you just stare at them? Like, yeah, like, like the with judgment. Like the ju- no, not like I was like, I feel you. Uh-huh. You know, like I've been, I've been in coach my whole life. So I, I, get, <laughs> I get it. Like, you know, this first class shit, I'm not about this. I'm right. But there's more space here. And you get a drink. And it's you have nice. to sit down first. And you sit, which I've never understood the sit down first thing. Like it, that's such an entitlement thing mm-hmm. because it doesn't make any sense for them to sit down first. They should come last. They should go last. Yeah. This is a problem. Like, it's why so do you want to you... sit at the airplane that much longer? I don't. Like, right. I'm cool sitting outside. Just let me go last. It's fine. It's so you have to pass them on your economy walk of shame. The judgment. Right. The judgment walk, yeah. and then you know, like you're all, <laughs> like everyone's just kind of like, mm, and they're trudging along, and you're just looking at them like loser like you know like the rich 22 year old kid like fanning through the thing and he's on like daddy's card and he's just like oh i forget what it might have been like seinfeld or some other uh-huh. comedian but he's got this whole thing about first class and but my favorite little little detail was uh when he mentions and it's true like you could picture it in your mind the nasty little look that the flight attendant shoots all the economy people right before they close the first <laughs> class <curtain. laughs> like you're you not all out the bathroom, here yeah when you ask me, this bathroom is not for you. It's like, <laughs> fuck me. It's, I guess that's what's uh, what's wrong with the world. And it's first interesting to see coach. it Miami first class when you walk past versus like first class anywhere else. Well, there's no doubt when you walk up to the plane that's going to Miami. Yeah. What's happening? Right. There's like no doubt like you're going back home. Uh huh. And you you just know it. You look at it and you're like, oh, it's my people. <laughs> you know, there's like bright, like neon pink uh-huh. leggings. Yeah. On and then just loud, and then there's you know, and clapping lots of gel in hair, yeah. And like, I get it, like, I understand I'm going back home now, right? And I feel comfortable in that mm-hmm. moment, you know. Um, it's the other ones that I'm not too sure. I remember once I did a, I was in negotiation to do like a, a consulting job in Jackson Hole, okay. Was it Wyoming? Yeah, Wyoming, yeah. So you got to take a plane. To another plane. Yeah. And then that's when shit got real for me. Because right. the other plane was very small. Yeah. See, right? small planes I don't trust. 
Did I? Oh, and that small plane's in between mountains. Uh-huh. It gets even more, you know, like no one told me what that was happening. Yeah. And I probably would have reconsidered things, you know. And it's, uh, and then getting on that plane to go to do it again. You're walking on. It's just, I don't know. That was small whole... planes I don't trust. Yeah. I think the worst small plane I've had has been like a Mini Cooper that looked like it had wings on it. That's a problem. Yeah, it was a problem. And Mini for, Cooper's a good car, though. Don't but shit not, on that car. But it's not flying yeah. like, like up top where the pilot has the windows down. And Solid point. Yeah. So Solid for 40 point. minutes, you're just thinking, like, what if we just land on the top of that mountain? Like, will it be fine? I don't know. No, I'm. I'm not. I don't want to find out either. No, not at all. No, I've done it like three times, and every time I say I won't do it again, and I and keep do doing it, again. it. Yeah, do it a lot to like visit farms and stuff, and that's the way you have to get around. Oh, and, for sure. Yeah. So we've totally gone off the rails here. Let's go I back. Mean, How did we get into chocolate? The flying, the travel, the so you were, telling you what to do. Right. So you were around the world yeah. and you were eating chocolate. I was eating a lot of different things. And one of the things I ate on my journeys was like chocolate in this like little farmer's market in Europe. And I became completely enamored by it. It was like so simple and like made with like real stuff and just so different than what I experienced like here. And it just, it became something I was obsessed with, like completely obsessed with for years. Before that, those kind of experiences, what Mm -hmm. was your relation with chocolate? For me, chocolate's very nostalgic of my childhood. I I mean, I was a fat kid too. Yeah. And I ate a lot of chocolate and I remember like hiding it like near my bed. What was your move? Like what was the, what was your chocolate of choice? uh, I liked that when I would get like, like a real treat was like Toblerone. Oh, oh, Toblerones. Yeah. Oh, man. Toblerones are nice. That was like a nice treat. Like when someone would travel and then bring that back and that would not last. Yeah, they, and I would they get it, it at the duty free. You're not getting that at Winn-Dixie. No. Well, it, it also, there's no Winn-Dixie in Columbia either. So. That's a good point. That's solid. My it, bad. It's That's Winn-Dixie. True. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no. My move was like the little caramel because I have a, a deep affection for caramel. Oh, really? Oh, salted caramel. Uh-huh. All kinds of caramel things. Okay. Duce leche, yeah, like yeah, all yeah. that stuff. Uh-huh. Super fat kid stuff. Okay. But little turtles that had all the peanuts. Right. And then the caramel yeah. and then the chocolate wrap. Uh-huh. Oh, man. That was it. That was your thing. That was my Did thing. Did you stash it? All the time. Yeah. Super fat kid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even at birth, I was like 11 pounds and I was two months premature. Like, who does that? <laughs> my poor mother. She's a tiny woman. Mom, I love you. I'm sorry. You know, like, it's just. Big kid. Yeah, I know. And I continued to be that way forever, (laughs) you know, so. um, But, yeah, that was, like, my relationship with chocolate. Uh I liked everything, though. Ice cream. Yeah. Oof, gosh. So. Sweet, like, sweets were my, like, weakness. Like. Oh, yeah. And chocolates in general were just, like, my weakness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, it just, to me, it's very nostalgic. That's why I like to do a lot of stuff that's, like childhood treats so like Reese's and like Twix and peppermint patties but like our version of it because we can do it in a way that's like still very reminiscent of like which is the amazing. childhood stuff but made now with like better stuff and made with real ingredients and made with you know the way that we we source everything so yeah that I love that kind of play on like Americana you have Twix bars I know had I known you that you love caramel that much you have but bar- you have them currently yeah I'll see you tomorrow okay <laughs> You have them, like, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. You have them at your shop right yeah, now? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll see you that's one of our, like, 
top things that we the Twix bar just. Oh, because so last I make time, the shortbread and the Twix. And last time I was there, that did not exist. No, it did not. No, 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 no. Because the not. Twix bar to me, that's that's like the ultimate. You know, do you have you ever had a whatchamacallit? Uh huh. Oh, like nuts and I caramel know. and yeah. No one ever, no one ever gives them any credit. Are they still around? I yes. Know, are they? I mean, I don't know. I okay. Actually, it's been a while. I've been like, on I a, haven't seen them in a while. I've been on a health food journey, so I okay. stay out of that aisle pretty hard. But you know chocolate's a fruit. So technically, whatchamacallit is just like fruit, fruit salad. Yeah, you know, right. fruit. There's a, a debate on fruit, like how, how much fruit you should actually eat. Well. That's true. It's a lot of sugar. That is true. I know. Listen, I get it. I'm, I'm all about it, but I'll see you tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, I love that. We'll all right. So, so yeah, so that's where the whole thing kind of started, and on my journey back on the plane, started jotting down stuff, and from there it was kind of nonstop. And then, how did you learn? Did you it completely self-taught this whole thing? Because uh, this is tough. Chocolate yeah. work is fucking tough. It man. is. It is, and also like chocolate, so monopolized. Like, oh, yeah. there's like the most of chocolate we eat is made by five companies in the entire world. So, biggest one being um, Nestle? No, actually. So Calibo is one of the biggest ones, which mm. is like what most people eat at like pastries and stuff. And uh, Cargill is one of the, no one's ever heard of them, but they're one of the biggest oh, of yeah, manufacturers of chocolate in the world. Like they dominate everything from the buying to the producing and they produce, produce um, almost like semi-industrial to sell to all the other places that we know. So right. it's, they, it's Do they super. produce more than, than that? I feel like I've heard their name. They so. produce a lot. They're basically like a commodities. Like they, they work in a lot of different, not just cocoa, but different foods, uh, corn, I think, like all sorts of commoditized crops. And people like that existing make your life more difficult. For me? Yeah. Well, yeah, because yeah. They're, they're massive. Like yeah. we, we're non-existent basically. Right. But the point being like because chocolate's so monopolized, there's no, there hasn't been really machinery like if you want to make chocolate. Uh, there's actually, up until recently, there weren't even culinary schools teaching how to produce chocolate. Like, it's such a new niche thing. It's almost uh, like beer. I have a funny story. Sidebar. We'll take a, we'll veer left here. Uh-huh. When I was in culinary school, yeah. which I don't talk about ever because I think culinary school is trash. But um, when I was in We're culinary school. We're throwing that sponsorship away. Yeah. They would never sponsor the show. Ever. They would never do it. And it's totally fine because I don't want their fucking money anyways. Because they're just conning kids out of fucking money to begin with. Anyways. Um, there. I had I took a baking and pastry class. Uh-huh. And we had a chocolate thing. And okay. It was part of like the final. Okay. So I had to do like a chocolate sculpture. Uh-huh. Right? And I thought it was the most beautiful thing. Ever. I'm going to find this photo so we can post it and I'm going to send it to you because it's so dreadful. Oh, what it's was so, it? Yeah. <laughs> it what was, was it supposed to be? The five elements. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Wow. It was very deep. Shocking. Very. Yeah. So, you know, like I remember I thought it was beautiful. Uh-huh. Now when I look back and I'm like, God, that's ugly. You know, it's like when you... <laughs> When you when you draw something when you're like five and yeah. you're like, oh, your mom's like, oh, that's beautiful. And then you look back and you're like, oh, that's bad. It's the same thing. Right. Yeah. So that's my the extent of the chocolate work I've done in my life. So not. not no, it didn't yeah, go It didn't go yeah, well. It didn't go well. Yeah. yeah. That's why I have an amazing pastry chef that does very good things with chocolate. That's, that's the best. The best. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but yeah, no, so there isn't, there wasn't any, when I started with the idea, there weren't any classes, there wasn't anything, but there was a ton of YouTube. 
So at the beginning, it was all self-taught through through YouTube, actually, and watching people make stuff Amazing. like online. Uh, and I would say the journey to make great chocolate starts with a lot of shitty chocolate. Mm. So I made a ton of shit chocolate at the beginning, just figuring stuff out. And then eventually I did take some formal classes, but it's been a lot of like trial and error, a lot of just learning what doesn't work. And as the industry kind of, chocolate's kind of going similar to what beer and coffee did like 15, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So little by little producers are coming on the scene, doing something similar to what we're doing. And we kind of share with each other to kind of- That's cool. Yeah. Community is good. Yeah. Uh, So how long you been at this? I've been at it uh, formally about five years. Oh, that's a good amount of time. Yeah. And how do you feel it's gone in five years? It's a roller coaster. You know, it has its ups and downs. Uh, I think we've gotten to like a great place now where it just feels like we're just producing just really great stuff and it's like very stable and we're constantly kind of pushing what we can do and exploring new things. So that's been really rewarding. But, you know, the last year has been super challenging and we've had to, had to figure out how to keep it going and how we can survive but also you know come out on the other end of it right do you feel like um the, the last year has changed the business model a little bit or no oh totally oh yeah completely completely yeah tell me more so like i said we, we were primarily just like wholesaling so we worked with lot of hotels like and providing restaurants and like ice cream places and all these places we would sell them bricks of chocolate and when suddenly a lot of people's businesses were you know not working or they weren't selling as much then there's no need for us to to sell to them so we definitely saw like a huge drop we had like for example we had like a big client in new york who would buy uh it's a giant brewery out there and buy uh Nibs from us. What a good, <laughs> man, a great bartender. You may not be a, a great producer, but God, you're a bartender if I've ever seen <laughs> This is all it takes. It's all it takes. Wow, it's like I would tell Emma, you're such an angel. Oh, you're empty too. Yes, well. Oh, I, I saw him not done. I thought, Max, Bobby, this is, there's hey, no listen. ice in here, okay? Come on. <laughs> you know? Thank you. Real you, quick I think great bartender to relax Bobby. Huh? I, think, I think you found your, your new calling. Yeah, went from cigars to production to now bartending here in the Pig Inc. Apparel Headquarters. <laughs> so tell me but about this yeah. brewery. So yeah, so we were working with a brewery and they were like consistent, great client. And then suddenly, obviously, like tap rooms closed in New York. So we ended up with a gigantic amount of like cacao that we were stockpiling for them. And suddenly there was no client. Does it have a shelf life? Um, so typically it lasts about two years, okay. uh, unroasted so you can stockpile it, but you know, it's a lot of money sitting there when you're expecting a client to right. buy it all out. Do you and, have to hold it in refrigeration or is it? No, it's, no, it's a, it's, they're, they're dry stored storage. in uh yeah, it's dry storage. So it, it, we have agro bags. So they're kind of like this giant Ziploc that holds it in place and kind of keeps it fresh. Is it kind of like a coffee bag or no? It is actually. It's a burlap sack. Oh, okay. But inside it's lined with plastic typically oh, right, and right. it keeps them like sealed and Dope. better. But yeah, as long as you don't roast it, it keeps for about two years. Hmm. Um, but uh, ideally you want to move it a lot quicker than that. So, right. but, uh, but yeah, I mean, places like that vanished <laughs> and we didn't start hearing from them again until maybe, you know, November, you know, early this year. So it's uh, that part of the business completely fizzled out. Um, along with, we would do a lot of, you know, with corporate, uh, gifting, uh, 
tours that was a huge bread and butter for us just coming for folks to come see what we did you know uh and uh come on site and learn uh firsthand how we make everything and that Mm. was a big part of our revenue and that pretty much has also gone away so It's, it's incredible how everything we were trained to do and like everything we built our business around just yeah one second to the next just disappeared yeah and it it's you know, it's different experiences for everyone, but mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's essentially the people were gone. Right. And everything we had built our business models for mm-hmm. was now gone also. Right. So it's like the the value word of 2020, which is how do you pivot and how do you continue your existence? It's huge. Yeah. So how did you pivot? Well, I, I'm very lucky because my product can be shipped. Right. So... You know, I know I'm in a position where I'm really lucky that this is stuff that that we can ship out. And a few months prior, like I'd always wanted to go online, but the online space is extremely expensive, which a lot of folks don't realize because you are competing with everybody online. Um, But uh, we got lucky because we went a little bit viral last March with like a video that was posted online about us and people really took... From from where? uh, From Eater. Oh, look at that. Yeah. One good thing Eater's ever done. (laughs) Good for them. Fuck. Either national or local? National. Oh, good. Well, national does solid work. Yeah. Sorry. My I'll bad. hold my comments. <laughs> That's fine. They're definitely not sponsoring this podcast, uh, but it's cool. Conflict of interest. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, but no, it was it was great. Like, it was right before, like, everything hit, and it gave us, like, content to kind of show people everywhere, like, what we're doing. Because a lot of times when I say, like, oh, we make chocolate, we're like, oh, that's nice. I'm like, no, no. Like, we literally make chocolate and that's such a like a foreign concept to a lot of people that what we do is we don't just buy stuff and melt it and you know we're, we're manufacturing everything from you know what comes from the farm forward they just like people and it's no it's i don't think it's anyone's fault it's just the i think it's the climate of kind of like the United States and how yeah. we live, it's like, they think it's like, oh, well, just chocolate. It's just, this is just how right. it is. It disappears. Yeah. It's, it's when I'm about to pay for my groceries, it's right there. Right. It's right. right behind me. Like, oh, it's easy to do. Right. It's the same thing as like, well, you know, cooking a steak is really easy. Like, right. You know, it's just, I know how to, I have a grill, so I know how to cook. Like, uh-huh. no, it's not very easy. And, it, you know, when you have like a, a craft like that, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it takes years and years and years of work and like right. tireless effort to actually like nail that. Yeah. And to when you make it your life, mm-hmm. especially for you, like you probably had a, a pretty lucrative job beforehand. Yeah. And then you went to start a startup and you're like, well, they're, now there's like, it's not lucrative anymore. No. Like when you're schlepping chocolate like around and try to get people to buy like a bar at a time. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very humbling to say the least. But it's very rewarding. Yeah, totally. You know, and um, we were talking about Chugs before uh-huh. uh, we started recording. And it's like, Chugs at the beginning was like a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And I never realized how hard that mm-hmm. is. Like yeah. a coffee shop, you're living on a $7 check average. Yeah. It's like the volume is what's important. Right. Yeah. So it's the same thing for you. Mm-hmm. A bar of chocolate is what? Eight bucks. Eight bucks? Yeah. So imagine how many times you have to turn out eight bucks to make money. Yeah. You gotta make a lot of pay for your bars. livelihood, pay for your employees' livelihood, yeah. pay the rent, mm-hmm. pay for the chocolate, yeah, pay for uh, the lights, the machines, the, the machines, yeah. everything. Yeah, it's yeah. just, and I don't think, and I think it's again, it's just like a, it, 
because of the world we live in, it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, well, chocolate's just there. Yeah, yeah. No, no, chocolate is just not there. Right. No, a lot, you know, I'd be su- just surprised how many, even chefs I've had, and they're like, oh, chocolate, like, it comes from a tree. And I'm like, a lot of people have no concept that it, it actually grows on trees. Like, you know, and it's uh, it's a food that comes from a farm, and it's fermented, and all that stuff, and what's involved in it, because we're so disconnected, I think in general from food and where it comes from and where it's produced that we just have no concept of where stuff comes from especially in i think in the states right well i i think it's interesting that chef's table with will goldfarb mm-hmm. i think does that it, brought up a lot yeah it, it did great mm-hmm. justice to chocolate yeah you know like obviously will goldfarb is a legend right you know his his food pastries chocolate whatever yeah. you want to frame that is mm-hmm. are incredible um but like the I think the story about the chocolate yeah. there was so important yeah. for people to understand. Like, this isn't just like, oh, there's chocolate. Right. It's much more. It's yeah. much more involved. It's the same mm-hmm. thing as like if you were to really look into coffee. Right. And like the actual production of coffee and mm-hmm. the origin of coffee and right. that whole process, it's so involved, mm-hmm. you know? And and I think it's the large market people. Right. It's like in the food world. It's mm-hmm. like the large commodity people, like all the big chains and the fast food. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. You would just think like a burger is a burger and a burger is supposed to be three bucks. Like, right. No, it's not supposed yeah. to be three bucks or 99 cents for that Right, like, right. It's just not. So uh, it's, I look at chocolate and kind of like the ratchet chocolate we were talking about, like that we love growing up and the I still love it. Chocolate. It's ra- a phrase. It's a phrase. I haven't used before. I like yeah. that. Ratchet Welcome chocolate. to the Podcast where we produce <laughs> shirts. All, ratchet chocolate could be another. I like that. That's yeah. a t-shirt right there. I, I love it. I still have one of your t-shirts in my closet right now. <laughs> the chocolate nerd one. Yeah, that one. That we one. have Coco AF ones now. I like I'll, <laughs> wear, I'll wear that. I'll buy that with my Twix That's, tomorrow when I go. visit the store in Little Havana. Historic. How does it say? Historic Little Havana. The historic Living La Vida Coca. Oh, man. That's a shirt. You don't have that shirt? No, we have had to say Coco dealer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Colombian, so you gotta hustle that. That's, I, I know. That's a very Miami statement. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a very. You really brought your Miami out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a nice mix of Miami and Colombian put together. I know. Yeah. What a mix. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love, especially, you know, what he brought up, which is the concept that everything now, like, is made in house, right? Like, you wanna know, like, your fishmonger and you wanna know, like, who's your meat supplier and all this stuff. But chocolate is, like, this last thing that right. nobody, it just comes from a bag and that's it. And I love that he brings forth this idea that it's, like, one of the last, like, foods that actually gets not only, I think, respect, but also that people know where it's coming from and that are involved in making it. So, right. I think he really brought to light. A lot of uh, you know what's been happening in the industry, but also that you know folks are so unaware of. What I think that's it is. one of the better chefs' tables episodes ever. Mm-hmm. I, I really do truly believe that, along with, I mean, his food, right, and his approach, but that mm-hmm. fact, the yeah. chocolate thing, yeah. which I think was very big. Mm-hmm. So, twenty twenty one, how is that treating you? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's it, it's. I, I tell people all the time when they're like, oh, you know, things are going to be different now. I'm right. Like, no. Yeah. They're not. Right. This is a slow and steady kind of like approach to mm-hmm. getting back to normal. Yeah. We're, we're seeing, a, it's interesting because we're in this, we're not, we're in the touristy area, but we're not in the touristy area. But we, we're seeing like more of like an influx of people from all over. But the reality is 
Like, I don't think it's going to recover for a while. Like, I don't think a lot, you know, like, in terms of, like, our business, I don't think it's going to recover for me personally for, for some time. Like, certain aspects of it. For me to speak on things that absolutely annoy the fuck out of me. Uh-huh. You are in the touristy area? Well, not really. Not really. Yeah. Because people have greased the right hands to make sure that the tourist bus turns on 17th and not on 27th where it should. I will hold my words on that. You don't. You 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 <laughs> should. I shouldn't. Uh huh. I'm very. I'm from Little Havana. Yeah, this I know. My neighborhood. Yeah. I'm very very like. My dream is to go back there and uh-huh. open up the restaurant that I really want to open. Okay. But I know. Because there's so many sharks in the fucking water there. Yeah, yeah. And they're greasing the right fucking hands that the tourist bus turns on a certain street because that person's business is on that street. Mm-hmm. And I don't give a fuck who tells me I'm wrong because I know I'm fucking right. Right. It's fucking trash. And yeah. that's the problem with politics in our city. Mm-hmm. When there's good, hardworking people that should all be getting part right. of the pot. Instead, because you don't have that amount of money to grease the hands because you're not a real estate person. Right. And you're just a hardworking small business owner. Yeah. This is where we end up. Mm-hmm. So, for all the people out there that think that certain, uh, didn't you have Nick? Don't you have something to add here? No, right? Um, <laughs> uh, that think. No, I mean the the only in Dave thing with Francis today. I mean, we can get into that, but I don't think it's totally related to anything. Oh, uh, it's related. It's related because people are more interested in show. Mm. And money, and right. they are in actually helping the city, and I think that's like where where I always have like a very big mm-hmm, issue, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the or sometimes inti- even like the like the appeal of money where it's not really there; it's just to pretend it is. Sometimes. In what sense? Well, like to be connected to something that seems like there's money involved, but uh, it's just all for show. That sounds like influencers. Well. Right. So that, that sounds Your like Your favorites, influence. right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't I like I don't I don't care. I just I call you call bullshit when you see bullshit, right? Uh-huh. We, we haven't talked about this proclam to, to bring people up because you brought it up. I didn't see totally what happened. Basic all all it was as far as I could tell was that uh Francis Suarez uh did this little on camera ceremony thing where he was giving them a proclamation that I think it's March fifth is only in day day. Oh. Because right. it's 3.05. Uh-huh. Uh, First of all, it's a Star Wars day. May the 5th be with you. Isn't that the 4th? Isn't, right. isn't it me? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's why you're a Trekkie. <laughs> That's why I'm a Trekkie. You're right. <laughs> May the 5th be with you. I should have let you think that just so that on the 5th you would go around telling everybody, like, hey, may the 5th be with you. Listen, Instagram will tell me different. I got it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that was what it was. And I I... What did I send you something like I hate this? Yeah, yeah. Let's say you you do that like a couple times a week. I hate <laughs> this. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I I well, I mean, I hate a lot of things. That's accurate. Uh, yeah, but but yeah, my beef with it is the same beef that I have everywhere. It's like I just think it's a dumb thing. Like we like nobody needs the government to recognize an Instagram account. Yeah, I mean, and I think that era we live in right now. But but, the, but I, don't, I don't even know that it's so much about the era because like uh-huh. there's all like if you go back like through even like at the federal level the congressional record there's just always been you know like legislators spending twenty minutes on the floor of mm-hmm. the house to applaud their local Girl Scout troop right. or something and it's like stop uh, but I, like, I'd much rather I'd do. much rather acknowledge a Girl Scout troop than an Instagram account I'm sorry it's just true sure but at that point you're just making a value judgment and I'm just saying like unless there's 
something happening. Well, I, I don't need the government recognizing anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't need them declaring days. That's... I just think the whole thing is done. I understand your gripe, and that's like yeah. a Nick thing. But for me, it's more like our tax dollars are going into the fact that the mayor is sitting there with only in day people. That is just a pretty much a funny account on Instagram to give them a day for what? Yeah, I mean, but um, listen, if I was playing devil's advocate, go on, right? If I were, this is what you do. What if actually. it were Pancom Podcast Day? I would not accept it. No. 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 But I'm a crazy person. I'm, I would refuse. You're on the fence. I would refuse. No, no, I, I get no. why he doesn't, and yeah. I probably would be on the same boat with yeah. him because we, I, I love to go against the grain, and yeah. people like that that want to give us like, no, man, like we're just a fuck, we're just, we're just talking shit and, yeah. and like highlighting people that matter. Uh-huh. I don't think that that needs a day. I think that that's we we should be every day. That's also true. Yeah. You can find us at ads at daymax.com. We should record a a video where we issue our own proclamation (laughs) in a press conference in front of area. We should actually get like some old obscure politician to do it. Who would be like the mayor of Pancom Podcast? The uh, Petey. Yeah, Petey would probably be the mayor. Petey, Matt Kusher, or Burger Beast. Yeah. Maybe Captain Kush can issue a proclamation that it's <laughs> that every day one. is Bunkum Podcast. Day. Every day is yeah, I like I like that. Yeah. I, I mean, we, no one's really sure who Captain Kush is. Maybe we'll find him. And also, we're changing Star Wars Day. <laughs> 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 FYI, Miami. That's uh, good. I just. Um, but yeah, that was my that was my gripe with it, and but and they're not totally unrelated. Just to kind of bring it back to what uh-huh. you two were talking about before. I mean, you know, I I don't know that. Only in date is an example here, but certainly all these proclamations and stuff like that plays a role in the palm greasing, mm-hmm. and it's not just a Miami thing. Like nobody thinks that their government is totally clean. Yeah. Everywhere you go, everybody says that their city council's awful, right. and you know. So I mean, everyone's always going to have opinions. I mean, right. that, that's part of the thing, especially when you get into politics. Part of your job is understanding that everyone has an opinion about you. But I'm just saying, like, Miami... But the, the difference is that politicians hold power over us. Of course. I'm just saying Miami didn't invent the idea of, like, the tour bus turns here. Because right. someone right. put money somewhere. Like, everywhere you go, especially in tourist destinations... The wheel, the wheel. That's There's no such thing as, like, innocence, right. like, in terms of any of that stuff anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, you don't think that there's that there exists an innocent politician with good good intention? I'm just asking a question. I'm not saying that I believe that statement. I'm like just... in reality? Yeah, yeah, in reality. We're not talking about like fake funny money. I'm talking about in reality. <laughs> I, I, I would say it doesn't matter. Because, and the, the reason I say that it, is, it doesn't matter is because unless that innocent politician is trying to get out of the way, mm. anytime, even a politician and even donors, like anytime, even if you have the best of intentions, right. if you're being proactive through government, then somebody is on the losing end, right? You haven't just allowed the tour bus, the demand for this corner or that corner being the turn to dictate it. You can design it with the best of intentions. Ultimately, you're intervening, right? Rather than just letting the tourist demand for a certain type of tour to dictate where that bus turns. Yeah. So I I think that maybe somewhere in the world, certainly, I mean, there's just too many people for there not mm-hmm. to be a politician who's just trying to get out of the way. But I don't. Th- I, that's why I'm saying I don't really think it matters yeah. what their intentions are. I think it's more a matter of like, am I trying to do or get out of your way? And anytime they're trying to do, even if they're really trying to help, 
somebody's on the losing end. Right. You, there's there's a, no such thing as like co- completely benefiting right. everybody. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Hmm. No? Don't trash. agree? No, I just think that they're all trash, <laughs> man. I mean... It's just my, my thought process. And I think anyone that's like pining to be in politics or whatever, I just think it's all trash. I do. I just feel like there's better things in the world to do. You know, like the... Uh, politics has become such a, like a weird, shady, gray area that whose side are they on? If you're not supporting them, you're against them. It's just like a fucking trash heap. It's like dumpster fire every day. Mm-hmm. That's why I have much, like so much respect for people that just open up their own business and do their own thing. And, you know, they fight their fight for something they believe in instead of just trying to cater to a bunch of people's interests. Yeah. Because so, at the end of the day, they're going to cater to their own. Here's a question, just to kind of segue in a way that has a foot in the government side and a foot in the chocolate side. <laughs> uh, I, I think that maybe I'm wrong about how unique it is, uh-huh. but I wonder, like, in terms of the regulatory and licensing stuff, like, what are some, are, are there unique challenges that someone like you faces in chocolate mm-hmm. that maybe you wouldn't if you were running a restaurant or a bar or something like that, yeah. right? Like, I, I guess I just wonder, like, do you face a unique set of, of challenges just being in such a distinct space that a lot of our other guests or people who listen to the podcast right. wouldn't be familiar with? Well, when when I first went through the process of opening, nobody had done that before in Miami. And so, like, they didn't know what to do with me. They didn't even know how to, like, code me. Like, they had to create, like, a special code for me because they were like, I don't even know what, what this is. So in terms of, of that kind of, you know, bureaucratic stuff, it was, it was an issue, but uh, uh, we operate similar to like a coffee shop or like an ice cream shop, like, you know, in terms of regulation and everything. But, right. uh, but yeah, nobody had really done what, what we did. And it was like a, the first time that somebody had applied for something like that. So you were the first chocolate maker in Miami. So we're the first, other people are doing like chocolate and stuff, but we're the first chocolate factory in Miami. So the first people doing it like at scale, like the first people doing everything from start to finish. So that's incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Dad, you should be super proud of that. Like, there's nine million restaurants. There's only one chocolate maker. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's wild. Yeah. So, where do you see the road going from here? Well, I, I hope we'll keep growing. Um, I want us to, we're kind of like outgrown our space a little bit. Uh, I want to stay in Little Havana. Uh, what's interesting, I mean, you, you've seen where we're at. Uh, mm-hmm. when, I, uh, when I stepped in there, it was, there was nobody else kind of on the block. People used to call me like, are you guys in the abandoned building? Just, just the tag agency. Well, the tag agency, away. aside from the tag agency. <laughs> and El Dorado. Well, and... Uh, Casa Wancho. Them. My, one of my first jobs. But Oh, really? Yeah. What, what did you do there? I was a bartender and a cook. Oh. Yeah. yeah. That or if uh, somebody has passed away because we have the... Where's that? We Like a few doors down. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. A few doors down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit, yep. I never noticed that. Oh, it's it's better. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. It's an interesting hodgepodge of like established buildings, like businesses that've been there forever. That maybe their like parents or like grandparents bought those buildings like you know, gajillions of years ago, um, and then some shady shit that goes down. Shocking. I know, I know. I know. I know very well. Oh so. yeah, we've seen everything there, like everything. 
But you know, I hope I hope we can stay, um, because I, I love I love Little Havana. I love the vibe. I love what's going on there. I think there's a ton of other like independent like small businesses that have come on in the last few years that are doing great things, um, and so I'd love to hang on. Um, I mean, I'd be curious to to know what you think, but the neighborhood is like changing so much that sometimes I, I worried about that from the beginning. I'm like, well, we're coming on and we're something new. And it's like people, when the first time we opened, we had all these like real estate places that were like, look what's happening on this side of Little Havana. Like trying to like piggyback off like our press or whatever. And it's like, all right, cool. But does this mean that we're going to get pushed out because somebody bigger is going to come along For and sure. kind of take advantage that we've kind of put the first little stone and taken a chance and then kind of made it like, all right, it's fine to maybe start up there. And then somebody else takes advantage of it and just edges us out. So what do you think <laughs> is going on in in your old neighborhood? I mean... Do you like it? Man, I love it. Uh-huh. But I love it for nostalgic reasons. Okay. I don't love it because of what's actually happening there. Okay. You know, I feel... And Nick and I have very differing opinion, opinions on this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I feel like the our brand and our culture has been cheapened somewhat through there for okay. tourism and uh-huh. for things. Because... Yeah. The only thing that's trafficked more than uh, South Beach for tourism mm-hmm. is Little Havana. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've done that, done Study. that research, uh-huh. and it's just not on your side. No, so. no, no. I mean, no. Even tour companies will come and be like, "Well, yeah, we don't come here." <laughs> I'm like, "But why? Like, yeah. why not?" Like, it's at least not a tourist trap. Like, people, like, when they come, they're just so genuinely fascinated by, like, by what we do. And yet, tour companies will be like, yeah, no, like, but no, like, nobody comes here. No, we're much more interested in going down there to Domino Park and then to the Cuban Sandwich Place and to that uh, bar that's weird and not very good. And, you know, the other things. Right. I don't know. It's it, it's such a loaded subject because then some nightclub people have gone and opened up nightclub things there too mm-hmm. that seem to be doing relatively okay. Right. Um, the thing is that none of the things that are opening there have substance. Uh-huh. None of them add to the culture of the neighborhood. None of them. And the truth is real estate people don't care mm-hmm. they do not care they right. will tell you everything they need to tell you to get you there and then sign on that dotted line and as soon as you do that they don't give a fuck what happens mm-hmm. to you after right I, it, people can tell me i'm wrong but i'm not very so, few i think yeah yeah but it, it the truth is is like they just want to get you in there they want you to sign that lease right. and ideally for them they want you to sign a shorter lease because of the type of neighborhood it is and what they're trying to do to it. Mm-hmm. So if you sign a three-year lease in three years, they're going to jack your rent up to a place that you can't afford. And then they're going to bring in a bigger brand that can afford whatever. Mm-hmm. A T-Mobile. A fucking Sprint. A CVS. A CVS. Right. A, a, do- a Dollar Tree. Yeah. That took over an amazing a fucking antique. Uh, remember that antique store? That now is a fucking Dollar Tree. Uh-huh. You know, like shit like that. Yeah. And those are the same people that own Ball and Chain. So it's the same thing. You know, like that's that's what they care about. They All they care about is getting that money long term. Mm-hmm. So do they care about the neighborhood? Not really. They care about the neighborhood if it benefits them. So 
what they'll do is they'll offer you help, and then they'll say they want to own 20%. I could go on about mm-hmm. this forever. But there's some great places that have popped up and, like, not owned by, like, massive, but there's some, there's some I think, well, great you, spots. Well, un, Union is great. Yeah. You know? What else? Their sandwich. Sure. Oh, okay. We have feelings about that, I see. Sure. <laughs> I, I, actually, I actually cannot comment on something. Okay. Can't comment. All right. But... Um, La that now that is great Mm. yeah i agree with that um but then what else and la trova they they tried everything they could to make sure la trova didn't open they did everything they could to make sure that they that their opening was going to be as fucking difficult as possible Mm -hmm. right because they didn't want them there because they were competition right if people really realize that competition breeds better experience a thousand percent that is what makes a neighborhood yeah people always tell me all the time like well are you worried about everyone that's coming to the group i don't Mm -hmm. care no it elevates like what you do i think well they gotta catch up to me Mm -hmm. like that's the way i i mean they're they're late to this party i've Mm -hmm. been here for six years so it's like yeah i mean i'm i'm all like this is great come Mm -hmm. bring more people right you know bring all the people that's Mm -hmm. totally fine i'm still going to be here doing what i'm doing right if you believe in what you're doing then you're not going to be fearful of anybody Mm -hmm. because what you do is indicative of you right so you know i mean do i believe in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. a it's a loaded thing because Mm -hmm. i i want to believe in the thing Mm -hmm. um but i think it's how much control you have so it's like do you own the dirt Mm -hmm. that's still a neighborhood that you could own dirt yeah and it's still people do it's still affordable to own the dirt Mm -hmm. there you know if someone else is you know kind of calling the shots then yeah i don't know if i believe in that Uh so you know i think it's it's still a neighborhood in uh i remember an amazing guy I used to work with, Charles Bell, uh-huh. used to say this about the design district all the time. It's a neighborhood in transition. Right. Right. It's like pivot. Right. Um, and I, for the design district, I didn't totally believe that, but uh-huh. for Little Havana, I do. Okay. It's still definitely a neighborhood in transition. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be able to dictate the future the most? Right. Because you can easily sell out yeah. and be... Kind of like that cookie cutter bullshit for mm-hmm. everybody. Right. Or you could have a story and have mm-hmm. like a real thing to say. Like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like what Julio does. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, um, but I think it's it's time will tell. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, you're just going to wash down? It depends how much interest people take into the neighborhood. Uh-huh. Listen, we sold we sold a church. For a high rise. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that happened. Uh-huh. We sold the church for a high rise. Right. And now where that church stood, there is now a... It's massive. 25-story high rise. Yeah. Right there, a couple blocks from you. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, it depends who holds the power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was considering opening a couple things there, mm-hmm. and I had a couple conversations, but, you know, the problem is... I mean, at, at that time, the I guess the landlord side thought that they were smarter. Or they had more chips on their mm-hmm, side. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like very one-sided. Mm. And that's just not how the game is played. Right. You know, you hold the value because yeah. you yourself bring the value to that neighborhood that right. once upon a time had no value. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. 
I, it's hard for me to call because it's a very like emotionally connected thing of, of like what I think is going to happen. Yeah. Well, I, what do you want to happen? Then? Well, I want people like us to succeed. Uh-huh. I want people like us to dictate like that is the coolest neighborhood in the city. Right. And little by little, it's losing that. Right. Mm-hmm. There's traffic there. Yeah. There's lots oh, of traffic. Absolutely. There's lots of things. Uh, whether they're good or not, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think there's an opportunity to like, there's definitely a need to like, I don't know if improve is the word, but to have more presence in certain things, right? Like when, when we came on, there was like, aside from the tag agency, there's a lot of empty places. And I think there is a need for like places like ours to come along and like start something. And I think that's going to make it better. But the question is like, can businesses like that like survive? Can can we thrive or is it going to get pushed out for but that's, something else? That's totally indicative on the landlord side. Because if they want to price themselves out like, oh, we're now West Brickle. Right. No, my guy, you're not <laughs> West Brickle. Slowly it's become that. Like, it's... But it's I, I mean, it has Even on, like, I, Google, it's, like, amazing to see, like, it's like, oh, it's not. Mm. <laughs> like, you know? It's still part of the hood. Yeah. Liha, I think is what they're calling it. What? Yeah, like Little Havana, like Liha, you know, like Soho and like Sophie and all this bullshit. Why would they do that? Yeah, That's the because, thing I've ever... because once Nick, you... can you bring the drinks? You <laughs> <laughs> have one Liha too many? We... <laughs> we'll call this the Liha. <laughs> who does that? People actually do that? Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. Who does that? I, I don't know who dictates. Realtors. Realtors dictate that. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It is the dumbest thing. But that's like how you give the know, neighbor Give the neighborhood the respect That's resource. how you know it's the neighborhood's in transition is when they rename it to something else. And oh, we have... sir, I have your Negroni. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> You're doing an amazing job. Thanks, man. You're an angel. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. You could stop right there. Thank you. <laughs> um... Lee Ha. Yeah, Lee Ha. I want to find the person who came up with that. And I want to ask them could... what their thought process was. It's That's how you officially turn a neighborhood. Well, that's how you gentrify a neighborhood. Yeah. That's for sure. For sure. It, it happens everywhere. Yeah, I mean, what makes that neighborhood special is the character that it has. Mm-hmm. You know, and the people that are there. Yeah. It's got a lot of... I think the energy, like, that's always what attracted me to it. That it's... it's I think it's one of the last like central places in Miami that's still approachable and reachable for like people like me, but mm. it has this like great energy and this authenticity that really spoke to me and just something uh, that I, that I loved about it. That, right. uh, you know, it had a lot of culture. It had a lot of diversity. It had a lot of people who have passed through there. And, you know, I think it's great. I think it's just a matter of what's the next chapter going to be for, for the neighborhood. What were your other options? <laughs> I mean, when you're a baller on a budget, yeah. it's uh, it's very limited, right? Yeah, because... I mean, I love champagne on my beer budget. Right, right. So, you know, that's how I was qualified. So, like, baller on a budget. It, it's tough because, you know, I, I initially moved down from New York because I was like, well, New York's so unaffordable. Like, I can't do this on, like, my own. And then Welcome to Miami. Right. And then Smith it was like, and it's like, shit, like, commercial space in here is also really expensive, right? For sure. And it's tough because I love Little Havana, but a lot of people, you know, our first review ever was somebody who had never come to the shop. They're like, Little Havana's dangerous. And I'm like, oh, but have you come? He's like, no, not since the 70s. And I'm like, well... <laughs> 
Why would you <laughs> review us like that? That was our first review. Our first review was like, don't come because it's in Little Havana. And I was like, oh, well, great. I haven't been there in 40 years, but right. gosh, it's dangerous. Yeah, don't come out of your car. And I was like, you know, and I think I, I love like what it offers. I love that we're kind of in the middle of like the Gables and Brickle. We have like this weird like mix of people that come like on their on their way in between the two neighborhoods and who have known us because of that. But it's also really a challenge because it's not right now hip and cool. And sometimes that can be a I challenge. I find it very hip and cool. Really? What don't you find hip and cool I, It's about not it? that I don't. It's that people It's just like sometimes... I find it much more hip and cool than Wynwood. You know why? Because Wynwood was designed. Right. Wynwood was put together by architects and by business people to say, we want to create this thing. Like, what's the street in uh, L.A. that's incredibly expensive that's where the butcher's daughter is and jelena and uh fuck i forget but anyways everything there is Uh incredibly expensive right and it's because it was put together by real estate people by architects and so on and so forth to make it very expensive just Mm -hmm. kind of like the design district that was created by craig robbins to be very expensive Mm -hmm. you know they put michael's genuine and then around that they put Tiffany and Tom Ford and right. all the other brands that I would never buy and that mm-hmm. I don't even know the names of. Right. Because um, the security guard looks at me weird when I walk by. <laughs> so, you know, like that, those kind of things, mm-hmm. that's what people want because it drives their property value up. But also what drives their property value up is a place like Michael's Genuine, mm-hmm. right? That right. 14 years ago, nobody knew anything about that food. And mm-hmm. then, boom. Right. Just like what you do and what Julio does, mm-hmm. and I'll stop there. And just like that, those kind of things give value to a neighborhood mm-hmm. that draws traffic to a neighborhood that continues to draw value. Instead of cheapening right. things, look for things that matter mm-hmm. and give them good deals. Right. You know, that's really like the long and short of it, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I agree with you, but people have this perception that it's like they only want to go to certain na- neighborhoods and they only want to be at certain neighborhoods and it's it's a challenge sometimes to get people to just venture out to a place agreed. that they normally wouldn't. Well, I mean, you yeah. know, we've been open for five and a half years and forever it was like, oh, you're in the Grove? Like, Grove is dead. Uh-huh. I'm like, I don't know when was the last time you were in the Grove. I don't know, like when I was in high school. Right. Uh, okay. How old are you? 40? Like, uh-huh. the last time you were in high school was 25 years ago. Like, what does that even mean? Right. And yeah, the Grove went through a tough spell. And yeah. it's, I mean, the Grove has done an incredible job at, I guess, coming back. Mm-hmm. The, I don't know how many articles I've read of, like, the renaissance of the Grove. Right. I don't know how many real estate people have paid for those articles. But uh-huh. the Grove is a beautiful place. Absolutely. And before I got here, it was a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. It was, like, a small town in a big city. And it did... I mean, the value was far beyond the restaurants or the things mm-hmm. that were here. It's just the the vibe of the Grove has always been this way. Right. As long as I've been coming here, which has been since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So, and the same goes for Little Havana. Right. The, the neighborhood creates its own vibe. Mm-hmm. So, we're just adding to that. Mm-hmm. And we need to be like, you know, uh, just an addition to the neighborhood because it right. is what it is. If you, as soon as you try to change it, then it's not what it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. So I don't know. It's just like such a loaded subject of mm-hmm. like a bunch of trash. <laughs> Am I wrong? I don't think I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I, I will say that I think that it's, <clears throat> I think that you, you can, it's possible to apply 
some of that thinking a little too selectively. Uh, I'm super selective with the way that I think. Well, but but by that I mean, uh, like maybe there's a little recency bias because at some point uh-huh. a developer did design Little Havana yeah. to be a particular thing, right? And then over time it became what it is, mm-hmm. you know, which of course as a result of immigration and all of these other historical things, mm-hmm. the original designers couldn't have foreseen it. And the same thing can happen with any other neighborhood, but it's very rare, uh, especially like in any of our lifetimes, mm-hmm. that that's not how neighborhoods develop. Like somebody, somebody somebody's investing money. Are you trying to change codes. the fiber of the neighborhood to be something because you just want to increase the property value? That's But that's the only reason anybody invests. So what I'm saying is like any property developer is there to make an investment in hopes that the value of what they're investing in increases. But when, Whether, when does that become detrimental to what a neighborhood stands for? Well, first of all, I mean, we... We are very opposite sides of the spectrum so much, of what that means. Go no, on. No, not so much opposite sides. I just, I, just don't think, think. I, I just don't think that neighborhoods stand for anything. There is no such thing as the entire neighborhood standing for a thing. You might have things that you like about the neighborhood that you don't want to see change, and I might even agree with you about what some of those things are, but clearly the people who are selling their property because they'd rather have the money than stick around and do something different with the property themselves don't think that the neighborhood that they own land in stands for what you think it stands for. So you if, don't think neighborhood stands for like a neighborhood stands for a thing. What does that even mean? I mean, a neighborhood stands for a thing. What does that Little Havana. What is? I I know what that neighborhood is called. What does it mean when you say Little Havana stands for a thing? Yeah, I mean, it's mean? For, for me, it's the hub of our culture. It's the hub of is it? Cuban culture. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's supposed to be, right? Sure, but but what is who who's decided that? Is it the Cubans who are leaving? Is it the non-Cubans who are moving in? Is it, I mean, at what point does that stop being true despite how much you want it to be true? We're I mean, talking to when, a non-Cuban who has a, a chocolate shop in Little I, Havana. Under, and that's, and that's so. fine. I have, there's, but of course, nothing wrong with that. So, but at, at some adding, point... It's still adding substance to a neighborhood. If we add, so we're going to add... Not, what, not, but not just, substance that makes it the whole culture. Are we going to add 10 Starbucks to the neighborhood? Does that add substance to the neighborhood? It depends on what substance is. But I think that's why I, the I don't understand. Gets Starbucks into... has no substance. If Starbucks it's a commodity product, sure. so it's like adding a Walmart to a neighborhood. No, a Walmart uh, doesn't add substance. What it does is it's a need. But it depends on right. But needs are substantive. If if it's a choice, and I'm not making the argument that this is better or worse. I'm just saying I I think the rational person can make the argument. That a business can come in that you think has less substance because there's not as much soul to the product or because it's a national chain or whatever. But there are people for whom the jobs and the stability that those businesses bring is very substantive. Say it again. There are people for whom the... Let's take CVS, for example. Right. CVS comes in. There's no question that CVS is going to be around for a long time. There are people in communities, and you see this all the time with like Walmarts and shit, which... Again, I wish governments wouldn't get involved in subsidizing any businesses the way they do. But the argument is, and it's not completely divorced from reality, that the stability that comes with having a massive corporation, uh, having it invest and move into a neighborhood, is substantive. There is substance to the idea that you have a massive employer come into a community that you know won't go anywhere. That's substantive. That you don't 
think that there's any soul in the coffee is fine. That's a judgment that you're making. I would agree with you. I don't get excited when Starbucks opens up. I'm into the, you know, specialty, local, artisanal, whatever. But if what you want is a stable employer in your community, at that point, if that's the substance you're looking for, do you want Starbucks not, or do you want the here today? But that's gun not what a landlord's looking for. A landlord's looking no, for no, no. I'm talking about the. Com- I'm not talking about landlords. I'm talking about a community. If you are a person in a community, yeah, but the community doesn't approve who goes in there. Mm-hmm. No, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. We're not talking about who approves what. We're talking about as a member of a community. What is the substance that you would like to see come into your community, regardless of how much control you have over it? Just what are you happy with and less happy with? I can see an argument by some people in a community that they would rather the Starbucks that will go nowhere and that will provide stable employment and predictable economic impact <coughs> over the riskiness and everybody here, I mean, sure, I'm the one who knows the least how risky this business is. Mm-hmm. But all business is risky. All business is risky, but opening a Starbucks is far less risky, especially a corporate store. Or a corporate chain, whatever. Which is why so many people love the idea of these things opening in their communities. So my point is just what substance is affects the answer to the question. Because substance for you, even if we all agree it's substance, it's not the only substance. There are other kinds of substance. There are people for whom real, stable, predictable employment and predictable economic impact, there's substance. Whether you like the product or not, Who are those people? Would you say that there is no substance? There's just there's nothing that you could call substantive to uh, uh, a, a sort of safer economic bet for a community. There's no that doesn't bring substance. But I think for every safe bet, there needs to be a risk. What does that mean? That means okay. Just for example, and I won't name names. I was having a conversation with a landlord person, whatever. And said, yeah, you know, we're trying to sketch out a, a thing here that brings substance to this neighborhood. We've already had Starbucks and mm-hmm. those types approach us several times. And we want to put one there, but we want to put things that bring value to the neighborhood first. So you're saying that that's the way it should be. Because the reason I, mean, I, I asked, what do you me, mean? There, there needs to be, it's like, a, it's like a seesaw, right? Like an anchor and then stuff around it. Right. Sure. Like I'm... I'm okay with CVS. It's a need, right? I'm also okay with Starbucks. Not 10 of them. There's one Starbucks. That's fine. But that's a value job. You're not okay with it. Other people might be. I mean, if there's if there's 10, there's literally, I think, like four Starbucks on Lincoln Road. Like okay. four. Right. And I, and four Starbucks on Lincoln Road. And the question becomes, it depends on who you ask. Whether that's a good or a bad thing. How good, how bad. I mean, There's not a universal, you're assuming that everyone brings your same values to those judgments. But I think it changes the values of the neighborhood. I think that's sure. more of what he's talking about. So when an it, investor comes in... That's a great way in, to articulate what I'm thinking. Yeah, because it, when it an changes, investor it changes comes the neighborhood. in, and, and in the case of Little Havana, when an investor comes in, it piggybacks off the substance and the culture of what's going on there. And it's like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> now we want to monetize that. Mm-hmm. But then in the process of doing that they change exactly why they came in and what made that place what it was. And I think that's the problem, right? Like when you push out what made it and what made these people come in, it completely washes away what was there to begin with. Whether you agree with the substance, whether you agree with the culture, I think it does shift it into something else. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I just mean that different people will appreciate, even before whatever these changes are, Different people will appreciate different things about the neighborhood and different people will have different things they want to preserve about it. 
right? So even in the case of Little Havana, some people might feel more strongly about the Cuban thing. Other people might feel more strongly about it being an old neighborhood and just making it very Miami. Other people might sort of have this sort of uh, pan-immigrant or pan-Latin mm-hmm. thing they want to preserve. Right. Whatever that might be, you can talk to 10 people and get 10 different opinions about what they like about Little Havana. And so if there's that much diversity, even among people who live in Little Havana, about what they like about it, what they want to preserve, what they're okay with seeing change, then what does it mean for Little Havana to stand for any one thing? Oh. If the people in Little Havana don't all agree on what they like about it. But fun fact, still zero Starbucks in Little Havana. There you go. You heard it here first, everyone. There's zero (laughs) Starbucks in Little Havana right now. Currently, there's zero Starbucks. But there are probably 45 places you can get a Cuban coffee. Only our Patreon subscribers have access to our Little Havana Starbucks counter. (laughs) We update it live in real time. Oh, man. I... You know, it's a subject for me that has, like, a lot of weight because Uh obviously it's my neighborhood. It's, like, where I grew up, and I love it so much. And your grandparents are still there, right? They are still there. Yeah. I'm still there twice a week. Uh Uh-huh. You know, and I still have coffee there once a week, and I do that on purpose just to see what's happening Mm -hmm. there. But it's, like, when, you know... Ariat was supposed to open in Little Havana. Was it really? Yeah, on on 16th. Okay. Yeah. On 8th. Where Union is, is, was supposed to be Ariat. No way. Yeah. Okay. And obviously I got fucked out of that deal, but it's fine. I mean, everything everything in life happens for a complete reason. Right. And I think Union is amazing. Mm -hmm. There's nothing with them, just uh, other people. Um, I think there needs to be... You know, like my, I would say my goals, like my personal uh-huh. goals in life is to open that like very fine dining restaurant in Little Havana mm-hmm. to do that thing. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten plenty of people on board with that idea. Right. But, you know, I want to own the land. Okay. So you need to own the building in order for that. Yeah, because I don't trust any of the motherfuckers that are there. Uh-huh. I don't trust not one fucking landowner, not one fucking real estate person. They're uh-huh. all fucking pieces of shit. And I hope that they come and they listen to this because you're all trash. Straight up. Please don't listen to this. Because <laughs> <laughs> some of us are already there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. But you're already there. It's okay. Oh, but 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 that's the question. But for how, like, I've had, that keeps me at night since the moment I open. I'm like, how long can we actually stay here? Because I think that people will take that. Okay, and, we let me have this. We can edit this out. This is okay. fine. We're back after the edited segment of Pancom Podcast talking trash about all of you loser landlords. Not mine, because I love mine. We're talking about other people. Anyways. Not mine. Not yours either. <laughs> no. No, no. Um, <laughs> God, what trash, man. It's just, it's like, it's so, it's so emotionally draining to talk about how people that work as hard as we do get taken advantage of so often. And that's why, like, I'm so... People have come to me often, Mm. and they're just like, you know, you shouldn't have any partners, Mm -hmm. right? And I tell them all the time, absolutely not. My partners do such good work, not only for me, but for other people, that it's absolutely fucking incredible. Mm -hmm. Because you know why? The only reason that I partnered with them to begin with is because 
I vocally am very upset and like it, it drives me nuts how much people like us get it mm-hmm. like taken advantage of right. and they equally get up in arms about mm-hmm. it and i think that's why apart from the fact that they're very good at what they do and that they care very much about what i do and what we do as a company mm-hmm. shit like that really shows they're like the fiber of a human right and, and man i'm so mean. jacked up right now i want to fucking punch things right now it's <laughs> fucking nuts i'm so angry right now <laughs> but that's unique to have a great partner is really hard like absolutely you find it, it's, yeah no, it's, I know. it's really great i'm very fortunate yeah and i tell people all the time i'm blessed but i went through shit partners before yeah. i got the good ones yeah so uh that's why i drink a lot yeah well <laughs> I think it, like I'm on the other end where it's like I, you know, I left to be independent, right? And uh, I, I pay a price for that independence where it's like I have no, I have no partners to like fall back on. And but there's also like that value of having someone that's in your corner and that's in your fight, right? Right. Um, but then if you get a ship partner, then it's like, you know, that's it. You're fucked, right? Uh, Hot button issue, lady. <laughs> That's my favorite thing you do now. <laughs> yeah. I think I do a pretty good job. I'm a big fan. Ladies and gentlemen, this is where we get into our wind down. Uh, as do you, it sounds like you're in a DNL mood right now. I do not like so many things right now. But do you have any that would be appropriate here? Um, or we can just not do this segment. I don't know how committed you are to this. He invented a segment he calls Do Not Like. Mm. Yeah, no. Which is That's the opposite been the whole of, episode, I think. I know, yeah. This is, That's this, not true. No. I love your chocolate. No. I do but not th- like Nick's takes. It's been about 30% of the episode. What? You're ju- just a big DNL. Mm. Dark chocolate. I think that you exaggerate. <laughs> it's, fucked up. it's fucked up. <laughs> it's fucked up. I think you exaggerate how much we disagree. I think we agree more than we disagree. I, you uh, keep even, on, even on this issue. Yeah. Perhaps. I think that we agree on what we would like to see happen. I think that where I disagree with you is how much you can treat it like some sort of collective city sentiment. No, I mean, I I feel like I'm emotionally involved in so many things that yeah. take artisans and craftsmen to do, and you, you. you were not. I mean... Yes and no. I mean, I... Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it's because you're... Uh, the practicality and the black and white nature in which you look at things makes it easier for you to diminish certain other aspects of making something other than what it's just supposed to be. A restaurant is supposed to just be where you go and eat, right? Sure. Yeah. But it's not that to me. Well, like a place where you can procure chocolate is just somewhere where you can get chocolate, but it's so much No, more. I get it. When you say go and eat, I'm loading it with other things. Listen, I, I agree with the You uh-huh. say that I diminish other things. I say that how invested you are in this thing leads you to ignore other shit. Sure, that's accurate I, because I, I'm I don't passionate think I'm, about certain things. That's fine. I don't think I'm diminishing. I'll give you an example. Go on. No, I am not a chef. I'm not in the food <laughs> world. But I spent seven years... Covering an industry and very dependent on an industry yeah. that's as artisanal as as any other, mm-hmm. uh, and that's as much about that romance and that passion, and that's why I was in it for seven years. I didn't stick around mm-hmm. covering the cigar industry with no health insurance because it was, you know, the coldest <laughs> black and white decision to make. Uh, and I'm certainly not doing what I'm doing now, not having seen income for a year, because I'm a pragmatist. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> Uh, Love that. So, like, I, I get and I hear the the passion and and the appreciation of of the craft and 
uh, and all of these like beautiful romantic things. And I would love nothing more than for what you want a neighborhood to be to come to fruition because I like all the same shit. Yeah. All I'm saying is that when I think of wanting the neighborhood to be those things, I just think I want it to be those things. I don't think this is what the neighborhood's about. I think this is what I want the neighborhood to look like because but there it, are people in that neighborhood that aren't about that. Just like, and no, this is not, this isn't a jab at it. This is just an illustration at like our different perspectives. When I see Miami against the world, I think, yeah, but we just spent half an hour talking about how a lot of Miami is against you. So there's a lot of that. There isn't this cohesive Miami against anybody. It's a bunch of individuals. Some of them align with others and some of them don't. And that's that's all that I'm saying about like yeah, but this again, and that is a very practical way of looking at it. But if you look at the exterior vision of like what Miami means, right? It's a lot of smoke and mirrors when it's really not. But if we continue to sell out to the people, the certain people that just want all all they cater to, and the only thing they kneel to is the almighty dollar, right? Then we will be what everyone thinks we are. Yeah. And the more people like me and her and you continue to fight the fight that we do fight, yes, it is Miami against the world because everyone... So, for example, everyone forever has shit on Miami for so many fucking reasons. But now, because we are one of the only markets that's completely fucking open, now everyone wants to come here, right? So now we're going to start to sell out to all these things, to the Carbones of the world, to those... New New Yorkers that now are just coming to New York, they're coming to Miami to go to the Carbones instead of coming to the Miami restaurants, then we will continue to be who they think that we are. There are people here that believe in the city that we want it to be, right? And that community, albeit very small, is very strong because we can, we, and I say we collectively, right? And I include you in the we, don't be mad, I'm including you in the we. Like we want it to be something more than what people continue to dictate or say that we are. And that's why Miami against the world to me is a very much a big thing because forever I've gone to other places and it's like, well, Miami food isn't this or Miami culture isn't this or Miami. Like how the fuck do you know? Because the only thing you know is when you're watching a dolphin game because they're nationally televised because they're the one of the biggest Football teams watched around the world, mm -hmm. not just here locally. The Dolphins are one of the biggest teams watched around the world. This okay. is taking a weird turn here. No, I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Because, again, people want to – but the only things they show are South Beach, even though that mm -hmm. the Dolphins play in Davie, right? It's it just – it's that that is everyone's vision That's a of weird Miami. example, though. It's not a weird example. It, it because is, because the, the Dolphins are branded okay. as the Miami Dolphins. They're not the Davie You're Dolphins. You're missing the point. So. The point is what people think Miami is is just South Beach. Yeah. I they get just it. think it's a thing. It's just that. It's I understand. And not just that. It's Ocean Drive. Right. It's but very 20, myopic. It's 25 yeah. streets of, you know, uh, blocks of Neon. Ocean Drive. That's shit. So that's not unique to Miami. Like, people think of New York, and I'm sure that New Yorkers are annoyed when, you know, if you asked a, if everybody could sketch a good sketch, you know, sketch me New York, and how many people would do Times Square and the Statue of Liberty. But I think Liberty. it's more diverse. Than, than how Miami is painted. Sure, but Miami is also brand spanking new. And we're also ignoring the fact that, like, you know, if we're talking about how Miami came to be what it is and what Miami stands for and all this stuff, I mean, just taking the, the Cuban-American example, Miami was built on a bunch of people showing up here who still talk about this city before they showed up being a bunch of 
Campo Bumpkins. And they still talk about it like it's only because I showed. And what did what did all of these Cubans do? Which I don't have a problem in the world with. They showed up y acabaron with the quaint little retirement community that they found here that none of those people would have appreciated. I'm sure all of those people were saying, this is not what this community is about. We're not a major metropolis. We yeah, don't no, know this shit. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, and you then know, I mean, you know, our we, parents and grandparents showed up here and they said... Yeah, no, we've equally talked about how people boycotted the fact that Cubans were coming here in droves. I yes. Mean, yeah, yeah, we've yeah. talked about that. To, but but we've talked about it in a different context. I'm not talking about like a, a bigotry situation. I'm saying just <laughs> a character of a city. Like it grew massively and it was an influx of money because historically, especially that wave of Cubans, that was moneyed people or at least people who were prepared to make money. And, you know, at least by numbers. And it was, you know, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. New people showed up. The place transformed naturally, and at the end of the day, I think, if anything, our, you know, family histories, because I hesitate to say, like, community, because I generally, because I'm a weirdo and I don't like saying... You don't like saying community? But, I don't... Why not? To the extent that they're, like, what is the Cuban community? No, the but Cuban... it's not, but it's deeper than... There's several different communities within a Sure, community. right, but, I was, but I'm saying I'm, I hesitate to say the Cuban community. I'm just saying Cubans, the, 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 well, the I... history of Cuban migration here... We're going to do this at a I'm just saying the okay. I'm just saying the Cuban Cuban migration here, like migrations anywhere, ultimately was just a bunch of people showing up and transforming a place and turning on its head or full on blowing up what a bunch of other people thought their community was about. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it was about some other shit, whether those people liked it or not. So I don't think that there is such So a do thing. you think that that equates the same thing as what happens in the real estate market of gentrifying a neighborhood? I, I, th- I don't think that it's always the same. But I'm I, asking if, if do, you, do you see one the same as the other? I don't, I don't think that because any... What, first of all, we were forced here. It's not like we were forced. We, we had to go somewhere. Sure. Like we, we didn't, we didn't uh, just say, hey, you know, we lost our entire country. Sure, but there, but there are... Deg- know, like it's different. Yeah. It, the context is different. But there, are all, but there are also degrees of that, right? I mean, listen, of course, I'm not saying... That I, I mean, people who listen to this podcast know at least some of my history on the Cuba issue. So I'm nobody not, listens. To this uh, yeah, that's true. I'm not. <laughs> comp- state everyone listens. But I'm not comparing the two things, but you know, uh, but there are degrees of these things, right? Like nothing is truly. Bla- it's not always this or that, and you fall into right, this camp right. or that camp. Yeah, and no. so, yes, Cubans were forced out of Cuba by a dictatorial government that left them no choice because they wanted to either provide for their families or speak freely or whatever that might be. There's a lot of Southern Californians and New Yorkers who are faced with, because whether it's pandemic or my government or whatever it is, I'm faced with the choice of stay here or leave and have my life be easy. It's not that... People, we're not talking about a, like you know Long John Silver leaving San Francisco because he wants to come here and like rape your women and steal your treasure chest. It's not that's not what this is. It's a bunch of people making decisions about their own lives and where they want to invest and where they think their lives will be better off, whether they have one foot or two feet or just like a toe in the water. That's true of Carbone. That's true of anybody who was born here and stayed instead of leaving. That's the calculus that people are making. You know, so. Is it the same? No, no two things are the same. But where I think that they're similar is that it's really more a collection of individual decisions being made. 
each person who decides to sell their land to somebody who's, entre comillas, gentrifying the neighborhood, that's a person making a decision. It's not a community being taken advantage of. Like if, let's just like to personalize it a little bit. Let's suppose that I own a property, right? Okay. In a neighborhood that's being talked about, like it's being gentrified. And I'm, you know, in a situation that like my life will be appreciably better, at least in my estimation, if I sell that property. Should I not, should I put whether I sell my own property to better my life and my family's life up to a vote? Because everybody else in the community is worried about how many Starbucks will be there? Or do I think about myself and my family and sell my house? And dude, listen, yeah, I get it. It's unfortunate because we all like certain things about this community, but I have a decision to make. At some point, it's really not as collective as what the community is about or this broad gentrification. It's individuals making decisions that they decide in that moment are better for them. And sometimes, of course, like, and I agree with you, like, that can lead to outcomes that we can lament, that reasonable people can say, like, man, you know, I wish that that didn't have to happen. I wish there were another way. And maybe some of those decisions are ill-advised. But it's not this collective thing. It's a lot of individual decisions. This is a deep conversation. Mm. For another time. Yeah. yeah. I think that we've uh, unpacked quite a bit. Yeah. Where the not the non-Cuban just sits there and like I can't comment on this. No, you can't. But you can't. <laughs> but you can though because you have you have a business in that neighborhood. Yeah. I I don't think that Little Havana just indicates like Cuban culture. I think it's Latin American culture in mm. total. I really Talk do. About so many different right. phases. It it, it it is whatever it is at the time. Yeah. Because it, inside of our lifetimes, it wasn't Latin American culture in general. Mm-hmm. It was Cuban culture. Right. In the same way that Sweetwater, there was a time when like. You could not. The, the, the sweet water fritanga did not exist. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly a bunch of Sandinistas fucked up a country and it did. Mm-hmm. And now sweet water is very Nika. Yeah. You know, like that, that's just what it is. Like mm-hmm. these things happen and shifts happen. Nika and, means uh, Nicaragua. Right. Uh, Nicaragua. For our people in Salina, Kansas. <laughs> that's right. I just want to put into context that's what right. my producer is saying. Yeah. Uh, that is not usually my role here, but I feel like it fits. Maybe you insert a little map on yeah. the YouTube the, channel. The tables have turned Yeah, with uh, Mike, Mike putting in the, the notes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, anyway, there's but a But I lot. think in between the individual and the community, there's something in between that's, like, missing. Yeah, none of it exists in a vacuum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do we want to do parting recommendations? Just jump I'm right to I'm exhausted. From all this conversation, I'll start the recommendations. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give us a hard shift here. I have to say, I just want to say, this is, I feel like this is one of the best podcasts we've ever done. Wow, I really do. That's great. This is like the gifting thing. I feel like you say that to every person. That's not absolutely not. No. If you heard our last podcast, was absolutely shit show. I don't know what happened on there. That's true. Yeah, by the Burger Beast, and that's just personal beef, though. Yeah. No, I mean, I love him. It's just he just didn't bring any sauce. We were lost. Okay. And we're still trying to find. You know what's amazing? The Burger Beast episode isn't that much longer than the Derek Kaplan episode. Really? Yeah, they're very close in time. Shocking. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm shocked. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and recommend a thing and give us... I will force the hard shift in tone here. On our last episode, I think I recommended Vice's short uh, The Story of documentary <laughs> Uh, on the story behind the thong song. Oh, that was good. That was good. That was good. And today I saw 
another installment in that same short documentary series, and it's the story behind It Wasn't Me by Shaggy. And everything Shaggy. about that story is fascinating. I'll give do, do, I'll do some spoilers here because I still think people should watch it. Here are some things I learned. Shaggy served in the Gulf War as a Marine. What? Didn't know that. Also, Shaggy, when they put out this album, It Wasn't Me almost didn't make it on there. Uh-huh. It wasn't the single for the album, and it only blew up because someone somewhere put the album on Napster and a DJ in Hawaii downloaded it like by chance and played It Wasn't Me. And it like took over the world. Uh, so it just goes to show you never know what the fuck is going to happen. Because these people just kind of like, you know, made this song on a, on a joke. And then out of nowhere, the whole country knew what dance hall was. Sean Paul comes out of that. Like all the stuff. Mm-hmm. So who knows? You never know what's going to happen in life. You know, any party recommendations? Carolina? I mean, that's I, tough. That's a tough act to follow. It's a really tough act to follow. I won't take credit. All the credit goes to Shaggy. Yeah, he's done. He's really done good work. He did great for me in high school. <laughs> oh, by the way, speaking of people, and also, uh-huh. I didn't know this. The song they're writing the songs for this album. The idea for the song comes because they're watching Eddie Murphy's stand up. And there's a bit where he talks about cheating on somebody and then uh-huh. getting confronted and he says, it wasn't me. I was actually, I was listening to Eddie, Eddie Murphy's uh, party all the time yesterday. What a, what a cult classic, right? Like, it's such, it's such a good jam. You know, like, it really gets you, like, you know, like, you start like swaying vibing. Uh-huh. and you're like, man, party, uh, party. It's really good, man. I love that. So, my do not likes for this week. Oh, boy. Oh, man. I think the whole episode was large, <laughs> large representation of do not likes. Um, I don't really have any DNLs for this week, uh, to be honest. I do have a parting recommendation, which is one song by one band. Hold on, don't have one. Uh, TV on the radio. The song is "Wolf Like Me," came out in two thousand six. Very good song. I recommend it if you're ever in a mood. I, I recommend that. I also recommend that uh, I believe uh, this weekend is the Canelo fight. Right? <laughs> That's good, right? <laughs> um, the Canelo fight, which, you know, everyone should watch boxing. Please. Who's he fighting? I don't remember, man. Right. Yeah, Canelo is the <laughs> best, pound, best pound, pound for pound boxer in the world. So. I recommend watching that Savage beat somebody up. Uh, hopefully he does beat somebody up. So that's my parting recommendations. Any recommendations? I mean, can be yeah. absolutely anything. It could be anything. You could. Yeah. It could be like something you ate that was random that you enjoyed. Um, I do have another parting recommendation. Oh. This week, I don't know when this is going to come. When is this going to come out? Who knows? Oh, that's Spring. Problem. Yeah. <laughs> 2022 no you're pivoting part three so right this, it's like we're coming soon like uh, so this week uh we are recording this february 24th uh wednesday this week we're putting out lucy lopez next week we're putting out manny portuondo and this will probably come out the week after wow that's, we're getting man. like this is the most like in advance well since things. we're like three weeks ahead uh if you have no plans on sunday just visit nave miami for brunch <laughs> that we are now open 
There you brunch. go. Look at that. There you go. I Welcome highly to the recommend the Negronis. Yeah. No ice, please. Negronis, but it's Hold fine. the ice. Yeah, just ask for a rum Negroni. Say, uh, I'd like the Chef Mike special, and they'll, they'll get you covered. Uh, anything else? Negronis? Negronis at Ariat? Negronis. Um, I then, can't wait for tomorrow. Uh, finally, b- before before we do our shameless plug thing, I also wanted, I forgot a uh, parting recommendation that I had. It's kind of like an FYI slash recommendation. Again, this is being recorded Wednesday, February 24. Today is the 25th anniversary of the Brothers to the Rescue shootdown. Uh, oh, so if you're unfamiliar with that historical event, uh, Google it and learn some things. Uh, it's a... Uh, a uh, story that I think gets told too little. And aside from the uh, evils of the uh, regime that we mentioned earlier led to Mike and my family's uh, cubifying this town, uh, it also... <laughs> it also is, uh, I-, I think, a story about, you know, uh, free people uh, and and the good and the courage and the sacrifice that they're capable of because, you know, the, these are a bunch of people who could have done a lot of things with their time other than flying uh, over Cuba with pamphlets or over international waters looking for rafters. Uh, a lot of people don't do that and don't give a th- second thought to the fact, I'm not doing that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think it's a, a, a story that whatever you're into, whether it's Cuba or something else, can serve as, like, inspiration of, like, hey, you know, there's, People can do a thing, and it can be such a big deal that governments will want to kill them. Uh, so. I, can I say just randomly yeah. how much I love that song that came out? Padre Vida? Yes. Yeah. It That's just good. inspired the next tattoo that happens on March 25th. Oh, man. There's an appointment and everything, huh? Yeah, we're ready to go. Good stuff. <laughs> ready to go. And now, croquetitas and pastelitos. It's time. This is new for you. Did you no, just... I did this once before. I did this once before, and I liked it, and I want to keep doing it. Um, Nick, just do you, man. That's all I ever do. Yeah. Uh, that's part of the problem here. <laughs> we both just do what we welcome, do. <laughs> welcome to the problem. Uh, we will let our guest do all the shameless plugs oh. first. Tell everybody all the things that you want I them to know about where to, to find you. Tomorrow. Can you can you do the voice? My hammy's historic little Havana. <laughs> you do such a great. I want to. Re- I have to read it. Hold on. I don't have like the sex it. operator voice. That, you don't. Uh, no. <laughs> sex that operator voice. It's very seductive. It's what? a. Oof. It's gonna have all the realtors coming. Here we go. Handcrafted in Miami's historic Little Havana. <laughs> That's good, right? It's really great. That's good, man. We should actually start looking at the porn industry for ads. Hey. Listen, in a recession, that's what sells. You know, someone in the porn industry is handcrafting their porn in Little Havana. Oh, handcrafting. I mean, it, it's it artisanal. Is, it's artisanal it is, porn. It is definitely... It's quote, small, unquote, batch, hand, small batch. Small batch. Small batch. <laughs> Usually, it's large batch. But well... Man, oh, what man. an ending to a podcast. We didn't do the... No, but tell people where they can find <laughs> chocolate. I'll do it again. Handcrafted in Miami's historic Little Havana. Now that we've co- totally shit on it. Uh, <laughs> so Don't shit on Little Havana. I no. shit on the fucking losers that are trying to control the neighborhood. Which we'll edit out, but... Uh, yeah, so we're on... Right on 8th Street. We're on 27th. Uh, <laughs> we're the We Make Chocolate people. And, uh, yeah, we're there. We're open. 
I know it's a shock, but uh, we are there. So come visit us. I, I will say, uh, uh, not only did I recently buy chocolate, I recently uh, got chocolate for someone, and uh, Ooh, the feet. Relax. Get the feedback. The feedback was that the chocolate was pecaminoso. <laughs> Who did you buy chocolate for? We're not getting into that. Oh that. man, <laughs> I love this making Nick awkward hour. It's no, the best. it's just not happening. This is like listen. The, I'm trying. I'm, uh, I'm trying to contribute to a plug here. Don't make the plug weird. This is like the after hours part of what Hong Kong I, podcast. <laughs> it's like uh, we've already ventured into the Patreon and, uh, version. Confessions oh, in a taxi boy. cab. You guys, yeah, you guys are. Totally getting edited out. We're, this is the Patreon version. Oh, Bye, everyone. Goodbye. And now. <laughs> so, no, there was no plug. Do the URLs and... Oh, and, the URLs. Yeah, so people, URLs. So people know You can find us find on AOL.com. <laughs> <laughs> what is your ASL? I'm still... I'm st- <laughs> you remember, you remember yeah, ASL? of course. I'm still... I, you know, honestly, Nick has really let me down. Have I? Yeah, no, I mean, there's a couple of guests we really want to get on here. Tom oh, from MySpace. Yeah. Still searching for Tom from MySpace. Yeah. Is he alive? He's, he's he is. killing it. Like, he's just, you know, he's a millionaire. Uh-huh. He just takes pictures. Yeah, good for he him. He took his retirement money, and he just, tra- he's, he's like a travel <laughs> photo like guy. This one, like... he, good for him. Uh-huh. And Masvidal, still dropping the ball there. Yeah. Him and Dave Arvello. Are we going to end this fucking podcast finally or what? He's not letting us. God, for fuck's sake, Nick. I, I was trying to get... Production! I was trying to get plugs and URLs and Instagram handles. Okay. You can find Esquisito us at... the chocolates. Ads at DaveMagdow. Come on. <laughs> let her do the thing. It's not... It's, not, it's clearly your fault. Find us at Esquisito Chocolates. EsquisitoChocolates.com. 27th and 8th Street. Look at that. Was that so hard? And OnlyFans. And, o- and OnlyFans. <laughs> if you had a chocolate OnlyFans, I think it would crush it. I have no question it would. Crush it. Sexual chocolate? That could be oh. the name of your OnlyFans. We've gotten a lot of weird messages about that. Have you? Oh. Ooh. How did we not talk about this? This is the Patreon. This is the- okay, all right. If you're a Patreon person- If you're paying for fucking mugs, then you're going to hear about sexual chocolate. We're out! <laughs> Thank you.